how to combine multiple ad platforms to amplify your success with Jesse Healy. The Strategic Marketing Show is brought to you by Insights for Professionals, providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands, all in a customized, tailored experience. Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. How many ad channels should you focus on? And is it possible to combine the focus of multiple channels to deliver a result that's greater than the sum of its parts? That's what we're going to be covering today with a lady who's on a mission to help e-commerce businesses thrive and scale by getting them the return on ad spend they deserve. She's the founder of Webtopia, a growth agency for mission-driven e-commerce brands. A warm welcome to the Strategic Marketing Show, Jessie Healy. Thanks so much for having me, David. Great to have you, Jessie. Well, you can find Jessie over at webtopia.co. So, Jessie, are more channels always better? (laughs) That's a great question. I think one of the the advice often given to startups when they're first starting is to focus on one channel, nail it, get it working really well, scale it, and then test other channels. And I would say that does tend to be true if you're just getting started. But once you're achieving a certain level of scale and you're wanting to continue to grow and also de-risk yourself in what is an increasingly unpredictable and risky uh, landscape in media these days – I think it's really important to be testing more than one channel and to be combining the power of them to get maximum exposure and maximum chance of reaching your customers efficiently. Um, You know, we've seen huge changes to the Facebook ad platform since iOS 14 came out. We've seen the huge growth of TikTok. I think advertisers that only stick with one platform blindly and and go nowhere else are going to really struggle to survive in an increasingly competitive landscape. So yeah, I would always be an advocate of ultimately getting to a point where you're running multiple paid channels alongside your organic. Okay. Do you risk yourself? I love that saying there. Um, So is there, I guess, too many channels that you can focus on? Because I I would think that um, maybe a few you can start to master, but um, when you start going seven, eight, nine plus channels, then maybe you can't actually take full control over actually what's happening in each one. Yeah, I would say it definitely depends on the biz, the brand's size and maturity and ability of the team to be able to optimize for the nuances of each platform. So, and also, and naturally, as you add additional channels, you're going to have a much more complicated job of understanding which channels are working and which channels are moving the needle. So when you're just starting out, if you're only running one channel, then you can tell that everything you do on that channel, if it's working, your your sales go up. If it's not working, your sales go down, even if the tracking is now not very good because of the data privacy changes. But once you add, you know, if you add an additional channel, you still have a pretty good idea of what's working. You can still see more or less like where the traffic is coming from. Adding a third paid channel again adds another layer of complexity. And each channel has its own particular nuances for how, what kind of creative is required, what kind of setup is required, what sort of landing pages. So don't run before you can walk, you know, nail what works for you on the meta ad platform, figure out your your kind of formula for creative that works, then try that creative on another platform, but optimize it for that platform and then get really good at understanding what plat- what creative performs on that other platform uh, rather than you can't have a one size fits all. So if your team's not set up for 
generating the kind of creative that TikTok requires, then don't go running into TikTok until you've got your ducks in a row there with the creative side. Wow. Okay. So you've mentioned meta ads, you've mentioned TikTok so far. We were discussing a little bit of the different types of platforms available, um, the ways that you can drive traffic and the fact that um, different platforms are probably optimised for different stages of the, the buyer journey. So it's it's yeah. probably a good idea to maybe talk about, say, three or so different ad platforms and at what stage you think they are optimal in driving traffic to the journey. So. Maybe starting off with top of funnel, um, what would be an example of a platform that we, you would tend to use for top of funnel? Yeah, so TikTok and Meta. So Meta includes Facebook and Instagram advertising. TikTok and Meta would be my first go-tos for top of funnel. So introducing your brand or product to a new audience who hadn't heard of you before. Those channels would be great for that. The great thing about both of those channels is they're great for demand generation. So what I mean there is someone wakes up in the morning, they don't know they need your product, they're not thinking about you or your product category, but using the power of suggestion, showing them an ad at the right point in the day for them when they're feeling open to it, they might become interested in your product that they had never heard of. Whereas Google is a demand capture platform. You cannot create demand on Google that doesn't exist. So for instance, if you were selling, um, so certain, what I want to say here is like certain products will never be able to be able to be advertised on Google on its own. They will always need something, some, another channel to, to generate the demand. Whereas there are some products, like let's say digital cameras, you could run just on Google because there's enough people searching, waking up in the morning, looking for digital cameras that you could generate demand for your product just through people who are already looking for it. But the TikTok and, and Facebook paid social channels are great for creating a demand as well as for showing, you know, someone who's already in the search for a, a digital camera, more digital camera options. Wow, I'd really like to emphasise um, just a couple of things that you were you, you were saying there. Um, so something like Facebook is a demand creation platform, i.e. Uh, you can create interest in what you do, um, even though there's not necessarily any existing demand in that. But Google, on the other hand, you have to utilise the demand that already exists on the platform. You're not yeah. actually creating the, the, the brand there. And I think that's a concept that um, is, is, is very important for different marketers to, to, to be aware of and, and match their, their ad campaigns against. Um, you mentioned TikTok there as well. Should every brand be experimenting with TikTok or is it only certain brands that, that it would work for? I would say if you're running paid social ads in any shape or form, and as I said, if you've reached that point where you've kind of maxed out, I would always start with Meta. And there's some very small kind of outline cases where I would start with TikTok, but I would generally start with Meta. The algorithm is still stronger at finding buyers. Generally, it's a more robust, predictable platform for cutting your teeth on while you're figuring out what creative works and, you know, what your KPIs are, what your benchmarks are. But once you've done that, I would test TikTok as soon as possible because in many cases we're seeing better performance on TikTok in terms of return on ad spend uh, or cost per sale than we are on Facebook. And the reason for that is partly because the, the traffic on there is generally still a little bit cheaper. A year or so ago it was ridiculously a lot cheaper. And this is what happens when a new social channel comes along and wants to ramp up its ad platform and there's not many advertisers on there, the traffic will be very cheap, but generally the quality of the traffic won't be as high because the algorithm won't be as mature. 
we're at a stage now where the TikTok algorithm is beginning to mature. In terms of the paid ad platform, we all know that the video algorithm is amazing at, you know, capturing viewers' attention, but they've also now turned their attention to the ad algorithm and figuring out how to to optimize the performance of your ads so that they deliver the result that you want. So TikTok, yes, generally tends to be a bit cheaper, a bit more volatile. Uh, It's just a bit of a harder platform to manage. So you want to cut your teeth first on Facebook and Instagram. But yeah, absolutely. And experiment now while it's still affordable because the price of the ads will continue to go up and you don't want to be testing when it's expensive. You want to be testing when it's still relatively affordable. Just final answer to your question, should all brands be on there? I think maybe that was a your leading question towards if I'm targeting 60-year-olds, should I be on there? I would say if you particularly and only target your product towards a very much older audience, then maybe you shouldn't be on there. But if you're targeting 40-year-olds, 30-year-olds, absolutely. They are on TikTok in their droves already. So it's not just dancing teenagers. 40s in the next 30. Or at least that's what people in their 40s say. Yeah. <laughs> that's um obviously top of funnel there and we could go straight to bottom of the funnel if we're talking about a fairly short sales cycle but um for certain brands that have a, a long sales cycle different b2b brands it could be a, a year or so between discovery and actually making the decision to make a purchase so is there another ad platform that you could recommend for middle of funnel which is good for perhaps authority building or just just reminding the user that you exist as a brand yeah so i would say that middle of funnel ideally i would i would choose it would still be Meta, Facebook and Instagram. TikTok as well can be great for middle of funnel. Pinterest also, depending on your audience. Pinterest works for certain types of brands. Tends to be, yeah, I mean, B2B potentially, but it's more towards probably lifestyle and product brands. So TikTok, Meta, and then potentially YouTube as well. So depends what authority you're trying to build and who you're trying to reach. And there's a lot of caveats to that. And YouTube, the challenge with the smaller platforms, YouTube, Pinterest, I'm sorry, YouTube's not small, but it's um, in terms of targeting a middle of funnel audience. If that audience is quite small, it can be quite hard to get the delivery to happen on YouTube or on Pinterest because people aren't necessarily visiting every single day. The people that you're talking to just might not be a heavy YouTube user. Whereas Facebook and Instagram people have, and TikTok, people have such a habitual use of it that there's a good chance that even if your middle of funnel audience is quite small, you'll be able to get in front of them um, fairly regularly with those audiences and just keep, stay top of mind, have that omnipresence for them while they make that buying decision. One thing I would say too, sorry, (laughs) is um, middle of funnel also, obviously email is great. So using those top of funnel channels to capture the email address, get the person to engage in some way and then nurture them with email. So for B2B, absolutely, my agency, that's what we do. We use the we use channels like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, deliver a lead magnet, people sign up for it, and then they go into a welcome series, and then they go on our list to be nurtured over a long time. They'll also be shown retargeting ads across all the multiple platforms. So once they're kind of in our world, they'll feel like we're everywhere and all around them, and that's what we do for, for the agency. And can anyone compete with Google Ads for a bottom of funnel? Probably not. So this is the challenge we often have with our clients is explaining to them that the amazing ROAS that they get on Google is not something that's scalable and that they need to be keeping on spending at the top of the funnel on Facebook and Instagram in order to feed these Google audiences that look so high performing. So 
what happens with Google is a lot of your performance will come from people searching for your brand. Uh, and these days you have to advertise against your brand name. I don't say have to. You don't absolutely have to, but we highly recommend it. And the reason is because of the way broad match and the way that the algorithmic bidding works, even if your competitors are not bidding on your brand explicitly, Facebook will show your competitors ads when people search for your brand name algorithmically. So if your brand is, I don't know, a water bottle brand and you're not advertising against your own brand name, I can guarantee that all the other water brand ads will show up when someone searches for your brand name. So you want to be there amongst the consideration set when someone's searching for your brand. Uh, Performance Max, which is the big new kind of, I guess, advertising channel from Google, which combines all of their different placements, will have a heavy component of retargeting your brand, people who are searching for your brand. But also, yeah, that bottom of funnel, people who are very far down that decision process, they might have been researching water bottles for several months, not that they probably would, but if they had, and then they're into that down to that final decision of like between two water bottle brands, and then they choose you, and then Google takes all the credit and says that that was like a five times return on ad spend. But actually, the only reason they considered you in the first place is because you've been you introduced them at the top of the funnel and you've been showing them ads for the whole time they've been thinking about it. And talking about different examples, actually, I noticed a, a post that you shared on, on LinkedIn this morning um, saying um, for a particular client, um, you've achieved a blended ROAS, return on ad spend, 16 times the spend. And you also manage the, the Google and Meta ads and you've really helped them grow that particular business. Um, so what in particular have you done for them that has delivered the success that you, you've achieved? Yeah, so we started working with this brand three years ago. They were, it was still pretty much a side hustle for the founder. She was still actually working part-time as a teacher. She came to me, this was, you know, very early on in my agency to get some help with Google Shopping. So actually that was the first thing we set up was Google Shopping. And I suggested that, you know, Facebook ads would also work well for her. So we set that up. Uh, And since then we have scaled and scaled her account. So it's been very much a double pronged approach with both Facebook, Instagram and Google ads running at the same time. So top of the funnel, we run um, a range of different types of creative. We'll have lifestyle creative, we'll have user generated, you know, videos or content from her customers, which is really important. We have a mix of creative types. So we want to do video, static, carousels are always being tested. We use social proof and reviews in the ads, both video and written testimonials. We show kind of indisputable proof that this product is really amazing by showing like pictures from from customers, pictures of it in different settings. In terms of the copy, we think about agitating the pain point that the problem solves and give a clear articulation of the transformation that the product brings. We try to use emotion in the ads, so really connect with the user on an emotional emotional level, or even sometimes storytelling, telling the story of how the product kind of changed someone's life. Often we try, we use first-person style creative, so telling the story of the product in someone's life. So those are a lot of examples of how we use creative in our strategy. And sorry, just a quick quick question on that. How, how do you measure the success of top of funnel? Um, because if you're just um, providing creative like that, it's it's um, appealing. It's 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 visual. You know, people like it. You know, maybe they just engage with it. But are you looking for visits through through to the website as well? Absolutely, yeah. So we we optimize um, our top of funnel campaigns for purchase. So Facebook 
has a seven day window in which it would track that purchase and Google has a 30 day window. But our top of funnel campaigns, we're still telling the platform, try and find us buyers, even top of funnel. Now they won't perform at a high, as high a ROAS as the bottom of funnel campaigns, but they will still sometimes lead to a purchase. And so that data gives us an indication of which ads are resonating the most. But we also have the click-through rate is a good indication. The cost per click is a good indication. So if people are clicking through on the ad, it shows that the ad's engaging. It's, you know, sending the right people through to the site. And if some of those people end up buying, we know that that top of funnel approach is working. So yeah, it's very data-driven even for top of funnel. Wonderful. I, I love that, actually. Optimize the top of funnel for purchase. Um, that, that's, that's a tip that um, a, a lot of um, big brands are possibly not doing because they, they get into to, to, to Meta or other platforms like that and they see that there are different options in terms of um, what you're aiming for. And, um, yeah, traffic option, or brand awareness. Exactly. And, and they're, they're probably just clicking on brand awareness for, for that stage in the funnel. But, but that's, that's wrong as far, as far as you're concerned. So we're a performance marketing agency. So we are measured and our clients come to us for, you know, trackable results. So we're always, our whole ethos is always about performance, you know, driving performance from the ads. So that's why our top of funnel approach is always going to be about performance, about driving revenue for the client. So, you know, they're not coming to us for a brand awareness campaign. They're coming to us for sales. So that's why we approach it in that way. But what I would say is that we are seeing some data coming out from other, you know, other agencies that we talk to and hearing from the industry that putting a small proportion of your budget towards those other, those other optimization goals, for instance, brand awareness or traffic is no bad thing once you hit a certain stage of scale, because not everyone's going to buy quickly. And if you limit yourself to an optimized for purchase audience, you're going to be limited to people who are in buying mode right now that Facebook knows are kind of like impulse shoppers who, you know, who make quick buying decisions. And actually, if you want to have the widest possible scope for your brand, you do want to put a portion of it towards brand awareness. But I would say, you know, you still want to look at for your overall spend that you've spent on marketing, how many sales is it driving? That's your metric for success. So if adding brand awareness in there, you know, for 90 days, you'd want to see after 90 days that your overall return on your ad spend was greater than when you didn't have the brand awareness there because you need to see that it's actually working and driving results. And for this particular client, um, I, you mentioned Google Ads. I would imagine you're using Google Ads for bottom funnel. Uh, what, what's an example of creative that you would use for that? So for Google Ads, we are, we also are targeting people as high up the funnel as Google can go. So they already know they want the product, a product. So let's use the digital cameras example. Google can put us in front of people that are searching for a digital camera, but not necessarily our digital camera or our website. So it's top of the Google funnel, i.e. they're already showing some intent. They might be in research phase, which might be like best digital cameras. Or they might be further down the funnel and saying, like, compare Fuji Max to Canon, which is, you know, that's a lower funnel phrase. So there's kind of nuances to how the funnel might work in Google, but there's an assumption already that there's a desire for product or at least to solve a problem. So, yeah, so most of Google Ads campaigns are still text-based, so it's, it's search results ads, but... Increasingly, because of Performance Max, we're now uploading images and short video into the campaigns and, 
and Google is algorithmically placing those across many different platforms that it has partnerships with, as well as YouTube, you know, other platforms that it owns. So we are actively testing that at the moment as an agency that's always been obsessed with creative and knows the importance of creating creative for driving good performance for our clients. We are taking the learnings from what's working for us in Facebook and Instagram and applying those learnings to our Google campaigns to see if we can get better results, for instance, than maybe a pure search agency who's always only ever thought about keywords and data. Okay, and Performance Max is obviously a kind of a goal-based campaign that takes away a little bit of control in terms of where your ads are being positioned. Is, is that a little bit of scary, scary, <laughs> scary thoughts when, you, when you're actually trying to, you know, just maximise the impact? Or have you found in general the use of Performance Max to be very efficient and a good idea? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's scary. As a digital marketer, we just move with the times and we we do what we've got to do to get the best results for our clients. It's frustrating at times because if it works, we don't know why. If it doesn't work, we don't know why. So how do we optimize it? But actually, gradually, Google is giving us more and more control as time goes on. So they're releasing, for instance, the keyword data that's driving the searches, um, allowing us the opportunity to potentially exclude some keywords from it. So they are giving, it's not as much of a blunt instrument as it was perhaps when it first launched last year. We're getting a little bit more control and we're learning just ways to kind of hack the setup a little bit to give us a bit more control. But ultimately, we care about the the return on ad spend or the, the cost per sale. So as long as we are delivering better results from, from that channel, then that's fine. We'll keep pushing it. We'll keep adding more budget to it and we'll just keep optimizing it. So, yeah. It does bring great results. It doesn't necessarily bring great results for every client straight away, but generally we are seeing Performance Max be a positive, you know, have a positive impact on on campaigns. So let's move on from what works now to planning for the future. So in your opinion, what's the biggest marketing trend or challenge for marketers over the coming year? Yeah, so I think, you know, all the uh, the consumer challenges aside with you know inflation and all of that we won't talk about that but like the industry as a whole has been facing increasing challenges due to data privacy so iOS 14 was released a year and a half ago and it severely limited Facebook's ability to track campaigns and optimize them so it cut off the blood supply to the Facebook brain and it's never fully recovered we've seen in you know the recent Q3 earnings results from Facebook they have gone down Advertisers aren't doing as well on the platform as they were, and that's reflected in Facebook's earnings. So I think the challenge is for us as marketers, how do we optimize when the data is getting worse and worse that we can optimize from? And it will continue to do so as, you know, EU rules continue to evolve and America too, the rules around privacy are continuing to evolve. So that is a big challenge for us as marketers and we are focusing our efforts more and more on what data we can capture. So more of our budget towards email capture campaigns, even in the e-com space. It's always been common in the B2B space, but in the e-com space, we've often just gone straight for that purchase, but actually collecting data, you know, quizzes are a great way to collect more nuanced data about your users that you get to own and, and hold. So those are kind of some of the ways we address the challenges. The other thing that this challenge kind of throws up for us is that in order to succeed, 
we have to work harder at mar- as marketers. We have to go back to almost first principles of marketing. So we have to understand our customer better. Our, our positioning and our brand has to really resonate. Our creative has to be better than the other guys on the platform because without data to help us optimize, we just need the performance to be better. So if the ad is speaks right to the customer and convinces them and then they land on a page that's amazingly optimized, then we can have less data and we'll still get better results. I've been your host ever been. You can find Jesse Healy over at webtopia.co. Jesse, thanks so much for being on this strategic marketing show. Thanks so much. I loved it. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple. To connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. Insightsforprofessionals.com.